0: runasradio.com. You're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell and Greg Hughes. This is Carl Franklin introducing show number 53 with guest Sean Seiler, recorded Thursday, March 27, 2008. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com you're listening to run as radio i'm your host richard campbell with me as always my friend and co-host greg hughes
1: hey richard how you doing everybody how are things
0: Things are great for me, man. You know what I'm working hard on right now is all of the stuff we're going to be doing at TechEd in the U.S., in Orlando. Going to be a busy week. Yeah, the all-IT week. That's right. So I get to go for both weeks because I'm going to be doing .NET Rocks for the Dev Week, and then we're going to be doing all Run As Radio for the IT week, and I've been putting together panel discussions uh, we're going to do on the TechEd Online stage uh, for both weeks.
1: So people that are there can see it, can see it uh in person, and of course uh, recordings will be made and content saved for posterity's sake.
0: Yes, and we'll make them into shows.
1: Yeah, one person that I know that hope to have, because uh, we know that he'll be there at TechEd, and hope to uh have on a panel is today's guest.
0: Absolutely. All right, Greg, let's introduce our guest. Sean Seiler is the program manager responsible for IPv6 at Microsoft. He has previously managed the company's IPv6 education and outreach programs and served as the IPv6 technical lead for Microsoft Federal. In each of these roles, he's been able to actively assist Microsoft customers' better understanding of the need for IPv6 and to help them begin their own IPv6 deployments. He's a 12-year veteran of the U.S. Navy, has owned his own company, worked in the Pentagon, and spent several years as a technical trainer. Sean is a member of the IEEE, the Internet Society, and Mensa. U.S. Navy and IEEE. It's a great, interesting combination. Lots of smart folks come out of the Navy.
2: You know, it's one of the things I enjoyed about it was just getting a great rounding of experience. It definitely put me in the right direction. I got my head on straight when I was
0: young. (laughs) Well, and and I I meet lots of folks that I've worked with over the years that came out of the military, and I think it just puts a little sense of seriousness in the work that they do. Absolutely. Especially the nuclear reactor guys. I've I've worked with a guy who was a nuke nuke, uh, sub guy, worked in the back end of of the subs. He was a serious guy.
2: It's funny that you bring that up. That's actually one of the things that I, I was on track to do. I, I started off as a nuke in the Navy.
0: Oh wow! <laughs> so I just sort
2: of—I've uh, had a very interesting and, and uh, colorful career.
1: <laughs> I have a couple friends who've worked on who, uh, until recently, actually worked on the aircraft carrier deck uh, on a U.S. Navy ship, and you definitely have to be on top of your game uh, to survive that. And it definitely uh, the discipline that that military experience can be real valuable later on.
0: Exactly. I, I recommend it to everybody. Uh, and generally and a, a good thing to uh, support your country as well. I, even though I'm a Canadian and we're a little more casual on the patriotic side of things, I think <laughs> public service is something oh, we all good. should be part of our lives. There you go. But speaking of public service, IPv6, this thing's been hanging around <laughs> for 15 or so years, and now Got you're it. telling me... We're really in trouble. I mean, is this just like the oil crisis? We've perpetually being told we're running out of oil. Now we've been perpetually told we're running out of IP addresses. Didn't we put this to bed once we created NAT?
2: It's probably the question I get most often. I hear that all the time. Um, And it's a great analogy that you draw, but there's one big difference. When you're talking about oil... We have some ideas, but we don't really know how much oil is under the ground. Right. We can, we can go and do research, and we think we know, but we don't know. When it comes to IPv4 addresses, we know exactly how many are available.
0: So it's not like we're okay. mining for more addresses.
2: <laughs> well, it, it, we're trying <laughs> to. We're trying to make more, but we, it's just not working very well. If you take the entire IPv4 address space and you split it up into slant 8 allocations, So that means there's $16 in each slant 8 allocation. There's only a grand total of 255 of those. And if you look at how many of those allocations are given out every year, um, we've been averaging since 2003 about 12 allocations of slant 8s per year. And we're down now to about 43, I think the number is, right now. So, you know, it doesn't take a real math genius to figure out at 12 per year on average and 43 or so left, uh, we're definitely on a downward slope. Now, you're right. We've been hearing about this for a long time, and a lot of people say, you know, NAT fixes everything. Well, you know, when NAT came out and CIDR came out, this is back in like 1993, 1994, and when IPNG first popped up, the original name of IPv6, that was all because originally we were allocating like 20 allocations per year, and people got freaked out. At that kind of a downward slope, we were going to run out of IP addresses by like 1997.
0: Right. Right. I mean, so, the old, the old, Before the classless behavior came in, these were the, the class A's, class B's, class C's, right? Exactly.
2: Exactly correct. So NAT and CIDR immediately went into effect in 93-94, and it definitely, you know, it it smoothed out that glide slope and it made sure that our addresses lasted a lot longer. We obviously didn't run out in 97, and we're still here in 2008, and we're doing okay. But the problem is, because it worked well and it's, it's, you know, band-aided things along for a while, people have been hearing about this since 97, and so now they think there's no crisis at all.
1: Right. Sort of a boy who cried wolf.
2: Exactly. It's a finite amount of addresses, and we're going to run out at some point. I'm not going to give you a prediction. I'm not a prognosticator, but they're definitely going to run out.
0: Well, and I was just reading on the IANA site, and there there's the guys who allocate out the address, that so they are now saying May of 2010.
2: That's the date that I have heard as well.
0: Okay. And, I mean, that's pretty exacting, but like you say, when you're talking in terms of the rate that slant dates are are being consumed... This is why we're going to run out of addresses. They are every day new IPs get allocated out. Exactly.
2: So, you know, people say NAT fixes everything. We don't need IPv6 because we have NAT. And I agree that NAT certainly has helped the problem. But even with the NATs that we currently have in place, we're still allocating all of these IPv4 addresses every single right. year. <clears throat> so it's not fixing the problem. It's simply delaying it, pushing it out some.
1: Hence, hence 2010.
2: Right, right, to 2010, exactly.
0: So irrespective of, of as much as we may care or not care, the IETF is moving ahead, right? Like Absolutely correct. IPv6 is happening.
2: It is happening. So, we, we now have it on the DNS root servers, in fact. We have uh, Quad A fully enabled on DNS root.
0: Yeah, that's right. We, we, we've made a major step forward this year.
2: Yep, just a couple of months ago.
0: And, uh, and I was reading also that there was some conference where they turned off IPv4. Everybody had to use IPv6 to, to be able to get on the wireless.
2: just happened uh, last week, as a matter of fact, over in Philadelphia.
0: That's, that's really cool. I mean, it, obviously serious moves. And Microsoft's making some moves as well. I guess Vista in 2008 both shipping with the IPv6 stack.
2: A- absolutely. Uh, not only shipping with the stack, but with v6 enabled and preferred by default. So that's actually, you know, if you've got two Windows Vista machines sitting side-by-side side in your network, even though you might not be aware of it, they're going to be using v6 to talk to each other. Why? Because v6 is preferred.
0: Now, I, so- just, I just had this experience. I was setting up a set of demo servers uh, for a conference in, a, in another month or so, uh, all 2008 boxes, and I gave them all names, but I hadn't taken the time to go in and actually make some DNS entries for them. Mm-hmm. And and so I knew their were names weren't going to be recognized. So I was prepared to just edit the host file. I mean, right. spot the IPv4 geek here, right? <laughs> so while I get distracted, I haven't done the host thing. I'm working on other stuff. I come back, and I think I thought I'd already done it. So I just tried to ping the name, and it worked. It worked. But when I pinged the name, the address it resolved to was an IPv6 address.
1: There you go. That weird wonky looking thing. It, it is.
2: It's very strange the first couple of times you see them. But you've just hit on one of the first, you know, real benefits that we like to talk about with V6, and that is that it's just, it automagically happens. You plug in your boxes, and the machines that are on the same link, they automatically can just find each other and can communicate. You don't have to have a DNS box. You don't have to register. You don't have to do anything else they can just find and communicate with link local addresses. So it's amazing.
0: I mean, one of the best ways I've heard this described is IPv4, which is old. I think the spec was originally written in 81.
2: Actually, a little bit earlier. Uh, just saw a presentation with Surf and he was saying they were actually beginning to work on it in like 77.
0: Wow. So, uh, so many of the features that we take for granted today, like DNS and DHCP and so forth, came after the IPv4 spec.
2: It's right, exactly. And that's the thing. I don't want anybody to think that, you know, anybody's trying to bash IP version 4. It's a great protocol. It's done a terrific job of getting us here. Uh, we we like it. Everyone likes v4. It's not bad. It's just that we, it's time to move on. We're, we're in a uh, uh, space constraint here, and it's time in order to get to the next level of services that we need to support the applications and the... The things that we want to do, we need to make sure that our, our network can support that with a new level of next generation uh, services that are built into the network stack. So I mean, let's face it, what is IP version 4? At its very basic layer, it's all about just pushing packets. It's a dumb packet pushing protocol. There's nothing else that's really built into it. It's all designed to just push little frames across the, the network, and that's it. Everything else is stuff that's been added on over the years. And that's what v6 kind of changes.
1: So, so let's talk about IPv6 and what's substantially different. Um, I, you know, when you say IPv4 and then next to that IPv6, they it sounds to the casual observer as if they're merely very similar and maybe it's just some incremental changes in IPv6. But what what are the real substantial differences?
2: Well, that that's both true and false. Um, they are very similar and they are very different. Um, IP version 6 is obviously the upgraded next-generation version of IP version 4. We move from a 32-bit address space to a 128-bit address space. And as most people have heard, what that means is we get incrementally larger uh, amounts of addresses. Uh, Every time you add an extra bit onto the address space, it doubles the address size. So right, so we're not, is, we're
1: not just talking about four times the size or so. We're talking about
2: exactly. a, a much You know, larger... I once tried, I tried to figure out, I, I, you know, I'm a presenter, I'm a visual person, so I wanted to be able to say, if IPv4 is this big, holding my fingers close together, then IPv6 is this big, holding my hand way up off the floor. But I couldn't right. really come up with, you know, the correct scale. Uh, it was really always too large. So my wife, who's kind of an old-school geek, she said, um, well, listen, why don't you try shrinking the entire IPv4 address space down to the size of like an atomic nucleus and then figure mm-hmm. out how large IPv6 is compared to that. I said, hey, that sounds pretty good. So I actually sat down and did the math. If the V4 address space is the size of, an, of one atomic nucleus, if you took a chain of those and put them together to equal a, a V6 address space, you'd have to right. travel at the speed of light for one month To get to the end of that address chain
0: a light month Wow,
2: yeah a light month
1: (laughs) that's and that is amazing so we'll run out of those at the current rate we'll run out of addresses by 2020
2: (laughs) (laughs) exactly And, and i'm not trying to say this is going to last forever i don't think anyone is saying that v6 will last forever but it's designed to last for the foreseeable future but i mean that that's one of the changes Is the larger address space. That's not, by by any means, that's not everything. Um, You know, things like having IPSec available built into the protocol is is a good thing. It doesn't mean you have to use it, but it means that, like we, Microsoft, have to support that. We have to make sure that our operating system will support IPSec. Um, so that's really good for interoperability to make sure that everyone will support IPSec.
0: Everybody's going to support IPSec. Right. The other one that really excited me was multicasting actually working.
2: I'll tell you, the amount... I, I always knew about multicasting. I'm an old IPv4 geek myself. I've always known about multicasting. We've talked about it. And how often does it really get used in a v4 network?
0: How about never?
2: Uh, exactly. Never. I mean, there's a couple of things that use it, but it's it's pretty pretty sparse. In v6... It's used everywhere. There's there's no actual broadcasts in IP version 6. Nothing sends out packets to everyone. Instead, everything is a multicast. If you want to go out to grab an address from a DHCP server, that's a multicast to a well-known multicast address of DHCP servers. So everything becomes multicast. It's used for darn near everything. Much more efficient use of the network.
0: I mean, that, to me, is very exciting. Of course, there's, there's obviously some challenges around this. Uh, and, we, and we could pound on the protocol itself, I think, for a full half hour. But I really want to start talking about some implementation stuff. Sure. What do we need to – I mean, obviously, the, now we're starting to get machines that have the stack. And, and I, I expect that uh, sooner or later we'll get maybe uh, XP, SP3 will include the stack for XP. Like we're going to get a few more uh, machines that support IPv6. But what else has to happen?
2: Well, one thing I do want to clarify, XP actually does have the stack. Um, There was a weird little release cycle there. When Windows XP initially shipped, it did not have the uh, IPv6 stack. Uh, We came out with something called the Scalable Networking Pack for Windows XP uh, right around the Service Pack 1 time frame. Once we got to Service Pack 2, that was integrated into the Service Pack. So as long as you've got XP Service Pack 2, which almost everyone on the planet does, or at least should by now, um, then you've got IPv6 built into the OS. It's not turned on. It's not by default. It's not quite as clean as it is in Vista. We haven't gone in and changed any of the GUIs or anything like that, but it's there. You can turn it on and use it if you need to right now today.
0: And maybe we should just get this off the table or certainly get your position on it. Folks are saying we should be turning IPv6 off on Vista and and Windows 2008 until it's time to start using it.
2: Absolutely. I I hear this all the time. Uh, You know, if you go out on the Internet and you do a search for IPv6 and connection or IPv6 and slow, you'll see 5,000 people saying, oh, I can't access, uh, you know, my my printer. And 10 people will say, turn off IPv6 and try it again. Exactly, My tires are going flat on my car. I'll oh, turn off IPv6. It's the general right. <laughs> answer for everything, and uh, I certainly understand from a security standpoint that in managed organizations, there's this long-standing notion of if you're not using it, you should disable it. Right. But and I get that. At least that one makes sense. But one of the myths that I definitely want to dispel: people say, "Oh, well, if I'm going out on the internet, IPv6." Slows down my internet browsing, and that's yeah, I've heard that too. absolutely, positively not true. I will stake my reputation on that, and the reason for that is, if I'm a home user, I'm sitting there at my house, and I'm going out to uh, you know browse the internet. Your internet service provider, unless you're in a foreign country, if you're overseas, it might be different. But here in the U.S., you're not getting an IPv6 address right from your your ISP since you're not. The only thing that's enabled in IPv6 is that link local address we talked about before. Right. So you could use that to talk to other machines on your network, but you can't translate that into any sort of a connection to go out to the internet. So every time you go out to Amazon or Facebook or whatever, Microsoft.com, you will never ever, ever, ever try to use IPv6 to connect to those sites. Why? Because you don't have an IPv6 address with which to connect to them. So it's totally contained to your, your link, your in-home network. So I, I get that people want to turn off stuff for security reasons. We really don't think it's necessary. We've gone through a full security suite sweep on IPv6 and have run no problems we think that you actually cause more issues trying to go in and turn it off and back on. So we recommend, out of the box, leave it on for everybody. But at least it's a logical argument saying we want to disable it because of security reasons, because we're not using it, that sort of thing. Um, but again, we don't recommend it. We say, unless there's a specific thing you're trying to address, just leave it enabled. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So how are we going to deploy IPv6? Is this going to be a, a great switchover day where everybody's going to turn on IPv6 and that's what we're going to be working under?
2: Well, we did that once on the Internet. I don't think it's going to happen again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you're talking um, about the, the 675 to IPv4 transition.
2: Yeah, going from as an NCP. Um, I, I don't think that we're ever going to have an opportunity to, to make that sort of a, of a modification, a switch again. Now this is going to be a slow and steady, uh, rollout. Uh, right now we're in a, an ocean of IP version 4 with some, some dots of IPv6, you know, here and there. Slowly over time, organizations are going to enable IP version 6 and so we're going to have these islands of V6 and as more time goes by, as V4 addresses become scarce, we're going to see these islands start to grow and eventually we'll have probably equal amounts of V4 and V6 until finally we have an ocean of V6 and little islands of V4. So, no, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to be a, a, a quick cutover, but it's just a slow, gradual phase out of V4.
0: So I'm thinking that the average corporation running in a natted environment, which seems to be fairly common, could sure. be doing all IPv6 internal to the NAT. Absolutely. And... Don't I have to upgrade my switches? Don't I have to upgrade my NAT router?
2: Well, it depends on how they want to set it up, and this is where we start getting in some architectural discussions that could last for days. Um, there's many different ways to do IP version 6 um, There's things like NAT PT. Um, sometimes those are appropriate, sometimes not. But you could do IPv6 behind one of these. Um, you with a v4 island out front. You could do v4 behind with v6 out front. Um, You don't. You could just keep v6 internally and set up a router uh, with using something like iSatap. And once you set up something like iSatap or or six to four, even that would then allow you to uh, do a translation and tunnel that technology out of the internet.
0: And uh, so Isotap is software, or it'll be a piece of hardware that'll translate between IPv6 and IPv4?
2: It's it's a service. It, Isotap is an RFC, and same with 6-4. to four. Right. These are protocols that uh, will run as a service. Um, Cisco has a hardware box. Uh, you can get it to run on one of their routers or switches. Uh, you can also set up a, a Windows server uh, to, to provide the same functionality, but it will simply... Uh, Take that uh, V6 data from inside of your network, encapsulate it effectively with a V4 header, and then punch it out on the V4 internet to send over to your destination point. So this is a great way, and we, we really, we like Isotap quite a bit internally at Microsoft, and the main reason is because one of the big complaints about V6 is it's going to cost $100 trillion to upgrade my infrastructure, people think, to support IPv6. And because of that, we're not going to touch it. You could set up your ISOTAP server somewhere in your network, and with that one ISOTAP server set up, then inside of your network you could deploy IPv6. Now, you could do one, you could do many, depending on what your hardware configuration is, but this allows you to actually roll out IPv6 in a phased deployment, one subnet at a time, one location at a time, however you want to do it, but without upgrading your hardware. So it's IPv6 now, infrastructure later. It's not designed forever. I mean, it's not going to keep you from upgrading your hardware for 20 years, but it allows you to get the benefits of your IPv6 services and applications today without having to spend a whole lot of money on expensive infrastructure upgrades.
0: So I'm just trying to envision this in a typical, you know, mid-sized business uh, setup. Perhaps they're using ISIS server, Microsoft's ISIS server, as the gateway to the Internet. You'd be running ISATAP on there and then start switching your machines. Well, if they had both stacks running, won't they just naturally prefer IPv6 once they can get out?
2: Um, it, it depends on, again, where they're located at and what kind. Once you have that ISATAP server set up, um, your Isotap server would then be broadcasting an Isotap address to the machines. And uh, if you had V6 connectivity directly to that machine, then yes, they would be preferring V6. But if the machines inside of your network, if you weren't broadcasting RAs, these router advertisements,
0: right. give the
2: machines in your network native V6 addresses, the Isotap address would be all that they had and thus they'd be using the Isotap address to connect back to the Isotap server.
0: Okay. Uh, what about stuff like DHCP and DNS and so forth? Don't I have to set up IPv6 versions of all of that?
2: You do. Um, now, that, again, that's kind of a double-edged sword. Um, DHCPv6 is a brand-new version of DHCP. It does support IPv6, but, I mean, it also supports IPv4. So, if you set up a DHCP server that happens to be a DHCP v6 server, and that, by the way, is built into Windows Server 2008, then, sure, you can hand out addresses to v6 clients, you can hand out addresses to v4 clients, and you're done with one box. If you've only got a, a standard DHCP v4 server, then you cannot use DHCP to allocate addresses to v6 clients.
0: Uh, and that makes sense to me. So if I, I mean, if I move over my DNS and DHCP services to Windows 2008, I expect I will automatically get the IPv6 features as well, unless I specifically turn them off. That's correct. And that's still not going to cause your machines to use IPv6 to go to the internet unless there's an ISATAP server out there to bridge the way.
2: Either an ISOTAP server or unless you, you set up these router advertisements to give native V6 addresses, exactly. And again, that's another one of those uh, pieces of confusion. People, Some people believe that since Vista has V6 enabled by default, then in the enterprise, they think that that means that everyone's going to be using V6 in the enterprise to go out to the internet. And again, unless you specifically set that up with something like ISOTAP or a V6 native address, they're not going to be using those things. So the administrator has control.
0: I cited the idea of running ISATAP on an ISA server. Would that be a typical scenario? How, where would you normally put ISATAP?
2: Um, it's, every organization is going to be a little bit different. I, I don't think it would necessarily go on the ISA server. Actually, uh, right now we've got a little bit of a problem with ISA server. It's running a little bit behind. Oh, that's right. Um, there and, isn't
0: a 2008 version of it yet because it's yeah. Exactly. a variety of reasons.
2: Exactly. As soon as the 2008 version comes out, then we should be good to go there. So for right now, it's actually going to be on a a separate box, um, but you could also put it on the hardware as well.
0: And I got to imagine it's some, well, and you already said Cisco, there's a version of Cisco iOS that does this, so I'm sure there's some Cisco boxes I could buy that would be able to do that. I guess the question is, what other hardware infrastructure is ultimately going to be upgraded? And and I guess, and this also walks into, when are ISPs going to start offering me IPv6 addresses?
2: Well, in terms of what needs to be upgraded, um, basically anything that runs a Layer 3 needs to at least be looked at to see if it supports v6 or if it needs to be upgraded.
0: So that includes, includes
2: switches? It does include switches, Layer 3 switches. Um if, if it's a straight Layer 2 switch, then you're okay. But right. if it is a Layer 3 switch, obviously. Um, the good news is most manufacturers, because V6 as a concept has been around so long, almost all hardware at Layer 3 supports V6 today. Now, it might not do everything that you want it to do. It might not be every configuration. You might to do some memory upgrades. But in terms of just passing a V6 packet, almost all of them will do it. So... A lot of times, it isn't a question of do I need to upgrade everything in my infrastructure. It's a question of what do I need to tweak in my infrastructure. Right. So it's not as bad as some people believe.
0: It's not a hundred trillion dollars.
2: Yeah. Let's sure hope not. <laughs> you know, in reality, most people believe that it's not going to be the hardware at all that's going to cost the going to take the lion's share of the budget. It's actually going to be training. Um right. You know, just like you and I, old school V four guys. Um, When we learned V4, somebody threw a book at us and we read it over, you know, a weekend or a couple of weeks and we sort of got it. And now that we've got it, a lot of people think, well, I'll do the same thing with V6. Uh, I got V4 down cold. I'll pick up a V6 book and I'll read through it and I'll have it. It doesn't really work like that. Um, V6 is a little more challenging. In order to get the nuanced understanding of exactly what's going on with V6 under the covers you really have to work with it for a while. Um, Although on the surface, it looks and feels a lot like V4, the actual nuts and bolts of it, the way things happen, in order to learn it enough to troubleshoot it, you really have to work with V6 for a while. And that's why I'm recommending to, to everyone, set up a test lab now, even if it's at your house, I don't care, but start playing with V6 now, just so that you can see one of those weird, funky IPv6 addresses and understand how to start troubleshooting it. The companies who are saying, we don't think that v6 is a problem, we've got NAT, so we're not going to touch it until 2010, Well, when it comes to 2010 and now they have to deploy it, if nobody's seen it before, they're going to have a problem because they don't know what to do with it. It's going to be very unique to them and a steep learning curve.
0: Well, and and you're talking about Internet connections being down, internal networking connections being down, like stuff that you can't wait a week for training to figure out.
2: Exactly. And again, too, that's why we also, number one, we try at Microsoft not to use the word migration, we don't believe that anybody right now should be migrating to IPv6. Instead, we believe you should be deploying IPv6. Yeah, migration implies turning off.
0: And, and IPv4 isn't going to suddenly stop working in 2010.
2: You got that right the day that we run out of IPv4 addresses, it's not a big deal. I mean, that doesn't mean it's the end of the internet, that doesn't mean that anything bad is going to happen, it just means that the next organization that goes to request an IPv4 address isn't going to be able to get one. But the internet as a whole continues to function as it did, But from there on out, we start having problems with new organizations coming online and uh, new ISPs uh, trying to get IPs for their customers and things like that.
0: And I can see that there'll start being pressure for folks to give up their IPv4 addresses. Just like when we switched over to classless and folks that were holding on to A's and B's were cut down to, to slash 24s and slash 22s and things like that.
2: Well... You know, that's a topic of much debate right now. Um, There's a a raging, and and I say that with a capital R and in bold type, raging debate in the Internet community from people saying, you know, look at the number of organizations that have a full slant eight, uh, the old, you know, class A, uh, Mm -hmm. assigned to them that don't really need it. These organizations should be forced to, to, Allocate that, that, give up that slant aid give it back, back yeah. to IANA or the other school of thought is there should be some sort of a financial incentive to make it worthwhile for these organizations to sell back their unused IP addresses to IANA. And
0: and And largely these are companies that were like the early, early guys on the Internet, folks like Hewlett-Packard and and Stanford University that were, they were there. They were part of the, the IPv4 transition, for example.
2: Exactly. And when they got those addresses, they, because of the, since they were the early adopters, these really weren't, you know, leased addresses. They were, they were given, they were granted. They own these addresses.
0: Sure. But that's pretty much before the era of the ISP.
2: Exactly, exactly correct. But so a lot of people believe if these companies were to somehow give back their unused uh, allocations, their unused IPs, that we would then no longer have a need for IPv6 because we'd have plenty of addresses put back into the pool. Um, And I just want to take a moment to discuss this to say that Most people who look at this from a big picture view say that while that sounds really enticing, in reality, there's not a whole lot of ways to make this work. Number one, what organization, what uh, IT manager is going to go to the CIO and say, hey, we want to renumber all of the IPs, uh, all of our subnets inside of our network to get you know a couple of thousand dollars or $10,000? There's too many other pressures going on inside of their organization. Yeah. No one can force them to give them up. I mean, they own them. So legally, there's not a whole lot that can be done. But even if, let's say that miracle of, all, miracle of all miracles, let's say that 20 slant eights came back. I mean, that's a huge number of addresses. Well, we're allocating 12 per year. So 20 would give us an extra, what, two years.
0: Right, right.
2: Uh, we're not talking about, you know, lasting forever. These addresses are going away at a pretty prodigious rate. So, like it or not, v6
0: is coming, and we have to get ready for it. Gentlemen, another half hour has disappeared. Sure uh, has.
1: Sean, I know that if uh, Microsoft.com slash... IPv6 is a, is a quick uh, redirect way to get to information at Microsoft. And I should point out that there's a link on that page to the IPv6 blog that you write, which is a great resource of, of a lot more extended information. So anybody who wants to know more about what Sean's thinking about, that's probably the place to go.
2: Absolutely. And I try to put up anytime I hear something that's uh, you know, going around the Internet that doesn't sound quite right, try to do a little debunking there on the blog. Uh, feel free to give me any feedback there as well.
0: All right, gentlemen, I guess we're going to have to call it a wrap. Sean Siler, thanks so much for talking to us about IPv6. Thanks, no problem. Sean. Thank you for your time. And we'll see you next week on Run As Radio.